Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Now, what does it mean to be conscious of anything? Well, the word, the definition for the word is knowledge of one's own existence, sensations, mental operations, and acts. In other words, it's whatever we can feel, touch, smell, see, and hear. That's how we relate to this world. We're very conscious of this world because in doing these five things, we are able to apprehend exactly what it is and what it's all about. Basically, it's the way we think and believe based upon our experiences and our knowledge. Or in essence, you, your life is controlled by what you think. Now, what does it mean to be Christ conscious? I'm sure all of you ladies out there who have born children can say, well, I knew why I was having a child. How did you know? Because at some point, the heartbeat began, and further along, you could feel the kicking going on in your belly. And that child was moving around, and you knew it. And Papa, when he put his hand on your belly, he could feel it too. You were conscious of a life within you. Are we conscious of a life within us? That's what we're going to talk about. We study this on Wednesday nights, and we're getting deeper and deeper into it. And the whole purpose is the fact that we might understand to get to the place where we begin to separate and deny the things of this earth, those things that we are most conscious of, and become more Christ-conscious that we can walk deeper in him. You see, as I've said before, Whenever we get news about something, the first thing we do is think the worst. Come on, you admit it. We do. Well, our, we are more prone, if you will, to be conscious of this world, of our own flesh, and most of all, sin, than we are conscious of Christ. Listen to what he says in 1 John 3, verses 1 through 4. John says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know, however, that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Did you see what he's saying here? He's saying, that, first of all, that we are the children of God. We may not know what we're going to be, but when he appears, we will be like him. Hallelujah. That's a glorious thought. But he goes further, and he talks about the fact that knowing this, we purify ourselves that we might just be just as he is pure. Then he goes on and says, he who practices sin is lawlessness, and lawlessness is sin. 
Lord are we talking about here? What are we trying to get across? What am I trying to say to you? I'm saying to you this. Everyone who commits sin is in rebellion against God and against his purpose at creation. And that purpose was to be in relationship with God and carry out his responsibilities as God gave them to him. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they acted selfishly. They were only thinking about them. They weren't thinking about being conscious of God at all. And so consequently, as a result of that, their, sin, their uh, selfishness got expanded into the world as they were thrown out of the garden. And now this consciousness of sin has taken over. It got so bad. At one point in Genesis 6, it says that God destroyed the whole world with a flood. Only Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives were saved. But once they got on dry land again, once they began to go about their daily routines and try to live again and, and populate the earth again, sin hadn't been destroyed. It was still there in their character, in their actions, and in their thoughts. And what I'm trying to propose to you to see today is the fact that we as a people of God are oftentimes more conscious of what goes on in this world, what is happening to us personally, than we are of the fact that there's a living God inside of us. Nobody has ever been able to determine the limits of consciousness that's available to us in our minds or in our spirits. It's probably boundless. But in the meantime, we have educated our soul and magnified, if you will, the intellectual and the physical, and in so doing, we have unleashed a consciousness of sin. Look with me over here in Romans 8. Romans 8. When Adam and Eve sinned, one of the things that God did was curse the earth. Make it hard for man to earn his living. He was going to have to work at it. It'd be no longer just speaking to a plant and it would grow. It'd be no longer effortlessly taking care of this huge garden area. Now it's going to be about the sweat of their brow. And they were having to live and try to decide for themselves what's, the, what's good or what's right. And every generation since has tried to decide what's good and what's right. And while this country says this is good, this country says no. While your neighbor says this is good, you say no. And so where is the absolute? We've wiped away, we have wiped away in this nation, the word absolute. Because they claim there is no absolute. But that's because they do not know Christ. Listen to this passage in Romans 8, beginning with 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us and to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now, what are we looking at here? What am I trying to say to you? I'm saying to you this. When you look at the catastrophes taking place on this globe today, there's volcanoes going everywhere. There is tornadoes happening. There's terrible hurricanes and all kinds of things are taking place. Everywhere you look, there's destruction. Everywhere you look, there is all kinds of things taking place. And we want to say that's all based on the climate change or whatever. It's our, it's our attempt to try to explain what's taking place because we understand the weather. We see the weather patterns and the wind, how it flows and so forth. And because of that, we're satisfied. That's what it is. We understand. It's just a normal thing. Well, let me tell you something. All the things that we see going on are not the result of greenhouse gases. Nor is it because of freak weather patterns. But it comes from the fact that sin is in the earth. Sin. They can't admit that to us, the world, because that would take away the knowledge that they have that they supposedly explain why all this is happening. But the truth of the matter is, it's because of the sin that's in the earth. The hatred, the anger, the degradation in our own nation speaks about this. How do you explain that? It's because of the consciousness of sin. Out in the world today, there is all kinds of what we call influencers. You'll find them in sports and uh, and TV and movies and music and everything else. And they will get up as wealthy as they are and well-known as they are and living as richly and wantonly as they want to. And they will say to you, listen to me. I've got a way of life. I've got an opinion you need to buy into. You need to listen to me because I know what's going on. I can take care of you, in fact, if you'll just buy into me. Sounds like Satan talking to Jesus, doesn't it? If you'll just buy into me, you will be rich, famous, and happy, just like me. You ever hear that voice? It's out there every day. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, over and over and over again. And it keeps getting louder and it keeps getting more bitter and everything else. It's because there is sin in this world. Sin. That's what brings it. And every one of those people out there are vying for your ear. They want you to quit looking at anything that's holy or pure or uh, absolute. And they want you to Buy in to what they say. It goes on relentlessly. Because 
it is drawn by and it is also governed by the sin of their heart to try to bring you in. However, Jesus was not like every other person. Do you know that? When he was tempted after he came out of the wilderness, was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted of the devil. Remember how the devil came to him? He quoted parts of God's word. How dare. He just didn't quite quote them correctly. And Jesus stood there and quoted scripture back to him and put him in his place. That's what Jesus did. Are we not to do the same? Because First Peter chapter two talks about that, or First John chapter two talks about the fact that we ought to walk even as He walked. That's our position. That's where we should be at. Because of all the sin that's in the world, all these terrible things that are coming upon us now, is because of sin. Let me ask you a question. What is the main reason to become a Christian? Is it to avoid hell? Is it to get to heaven? Think about how selfish that is. You're only thinking about you. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are to be a people that believe in the word of God. And we align ourselves with it so that we may be conformed to his likeness and go about his business. It's exchanging our spirit, soul, and body into the Godhead. And we are to be actively involved in bringing forth sons of God to rule and reign with him. That's what we're supposed to be about. It is to become his disciples. Look with me in Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 26 says this. Jesus is saying these things. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33. So then, None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. Does that seem harsh? Isn't that what all the influencers are telling you? Aren't they saying to give up everything and come and follow me? Why do we think it's so hard, these things that Jesus asks of us, because this is what we have to do. God doesn't do it for us. We, if we want to be his disciples... Get beyond just being baptized. Get beyond just confessing his name. We have to do something. The question is, have you done it? You see, walking in a, a consciousness of Christ is, is, is totally different than anything we're usually aware of. Now, the problem is, yes, we grew up, and ever since we were a little child, what we are most experienced at and have most knowledge of is this world, its ways, you know, And it's hard sometimes to put a halt to that and step aside and let Christ shine his light upon you so that you then can see the truth. It's an effort. 
But if we're going to be Christ conscious, if we're going to have this living body within ourselves, we need to know it. We need to uh, understand that as he moves and as he, he breathes in us, that we are different people. The scriptures say we're foreigners. We don't belong here. But if you're not Christ conscious, you don't get that. You don't have that joy. You don't have that exuberance that that comes with joy and knowing that Christ lives in you. If we're going to walk in true righteousness, it leaves no room for sin or failure. None. If we want to prevail against the enemy, our words must coincide with our actions and our behavior. You can't live one way and try to explain Christ to somebody else. When they look at your ways, they say, yeah, right. God has given us everything, folks, that we need. Everything that we need. Even to the point of uh, being able to overcome sin. Do you not understand that life and death are in the power of the tongue? What you say determines who you are. And if you get up every morning and you talk about, oh, look at that ugly person in the mirror. I need a reboot. Oh, God, I wish I was somebody else. Or, God, you know, you bless this brother, why don't you bless me? We're never satisfied. You speaking that gives life to it. Life to them. I know a brother I'm discipling in West Virginia. He had an experience last week. And before he could be baptized, the pastor wanted to meet with him privately and go to a lesson on baptism. And as he was speaking, he kept pointing to this brother and saying, all of this is a result of your sin. All of this is a result of the rotten person you are. All of this is a result of you are no good. And then when they got before the congregation, before he was baptized, he kept saying those same things over this brother and pointing to him so everyone knew exactly who he was talking to. And he was shaken in his faith. I had to remind him. He may be a man of God. I cannot say. Maybe just living in darkness. But the truth of the matter is, he spoke over you things that are not true. And what happened in you to slip up in your faith was because you began to entertain those thoughts. They were true of you in your past. He didn't deny that was his past. But now that past has been gone. When Christ came, he took away sin. He took away all knowledge of it in our hearts. The only reason it's still there is because we choose to know it. And once he heard what I had to say to him, he was able to get back on track. But you see, we're so easily like that. We, we allow things to trip us up, and when we fall into them, we wonder why. It's because we give life to them by the words we speak. Have you overcome that in your heart? 
Well, how did Jesus gain victory over this? I mean, if, if, if he was a man who was not without sin, if he was a man who was able to overcome and achieve for us what needs to be done, what was his key? He loved his father more than he loved his own life. What do you love more than your own life? It can't be that brand spanking new car you just got or the mansion on the hill or luxurious traveling. He says, I love my father more than my own life. And that love has caused faith to produce, reproduce the desires of the father and in so doing, he, he fed himself on the words of God so that he could undergo transformation and being purified. He and his father became one. He became the living word. And he wants us to do the exact same thing. Listen to Mark chapter 9, verse 23. It says this. All things, not some, not just a chosen few, but all things are possible if we can believe. The question for us is this. Do we believe from inside of him or outside of him? Do we speak his words or our own thoughts? When you're walking in the consciousness of the Christ, you will know it. You will feel it. It will cause you to do things you never thought you could do. Those things that seem to be so hard, like talking to someone about Christ, become easy. Because you're bubbling up so much within your soul and in your spirit and in this body. You can't contain it. So that everywhere you go, it's like sloshing the gospel of Christ. Everywhere you go, it's just falling off of you. It's running off of you. It's causing a flood around the feet of people that you're with. Jesus also said in John 15, 7. If you live in me and what I say lives in you, then ask for anything you want and it will be yours. How many of you believe that? Hmm. You see, this whole thing that Jesus said, if you live in me and what I say lives in you, then ask for anything you want and it will be yours. That whole thing begins with the word if. Meaning, the responsibility is ours. If we lack any power on our part, guess whose fault it is? It's not him. It's us. That's why we need to be more and more and more aware of the consciousness of Christ. We've got to reorient our lives. We've got to come to a place where we walk differently than we've been walking because it hasn't brought us any joy, any greatness, or any satisfaction at all. But in Him, in Him, there's life forevermore. In Mark chapter 9, give you some illustrations here in Mark chapter 9, Verses 14 through 25. What's taking place is that Jesus has gone to the mountaintop with three of his disciples. And while there, 
he was glorified. The light of God came around him. So bright it blotted out the sun. And he went through a transformation, if you will. He and his father were like this. And he comes down from that mountaintop and below were his other disciples and a large crowd. And this one man comes running up the hill and says, Jesus, if you can help me, deliver my son. And about that time, the demon in the child put on quite a show. He wreathed, wrenched on the floor, he twisted, he contorted himself, he did all kinds of things to draw people's attention to him and be terrified of that situation. Jesus did one thing. He told the father, how long has he been this way? Now Jesus didn't give a hoot about it when he answered. The purpose of Jesus in asking the question was to get his eyes off his son and back on Jesus. The answer to the situation. And he says, well, since his, since his youth, the demons try to throw him into the fire. They try to throw him in the water to totally destroy, destroy him. Oh, 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 Jesus, can you do anything? And he says, anything? If? And the man says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Well, whoops, hold it. Belief and unbelief, unbelief cannot coexist. They can't. You either believe or you don't. Only at this point, when he had the Father's attention and drew him into himself, did he deal with the child. You see, so often we see this taking place and we want to run for cover. I've never seen such a thing in my life. I don't know if you've ever been involved in, in having to deal with a demon or something in the deliverance of a person. It'll give you the willies. It'll make the hair on your back of your head stand up. But you see, with the Christ who lives within you is there. There's perfect peace. That demon sees who's in you and believes in God and he trembles. Because the greatness of the power of Christ and the consciousness of him within ourselves makes us a formidable foe so that he can be cast out. You see, too often, folks, is this not true or not? Too often when we, we, we need help, we need uh, somebody to, to help us out with situations with some healings and deliverances and everything else. What do we do? We call in the famous healers. We call in the great evangelists and all this other stuff to ask them to do the job for us. That's wrong. You don't need them. Well, how can I say that? Who will I? They're famous. They're well known. They've done this job for many years. How come you, as a little bitty till, a little toad, a little, uh, a speaker here, say that we don't need them? Because of what's found in Mark 16. If you want to turn there, Mark 16. And starting at verse 16, Jesus says this. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed 
and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs, here we go. Feel the heartbeat. Feel the kicking in the stomach. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Who needs these famous people to be brought in? This is what we are supposed to be doing. If Christ dwells within us, if we are conscious of his presence today right here in this auditorium, we should be doing this. Because of the overpowering consciousness of the Christ who lives within us. When we were baptized, we were buried into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when he arose, we arose. You're saying, but, 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 but that's talking about resurrection life. I don't have that yet. Why don't you? It's no longer you that live. You are dead. Oh, get this, folks. You are dead. And now the Christ lives in you. And the life that you're living in this flesh, you live because of his life in you. Therefore, everything you do, you think, and you speak, and everywhere you go should be because of this life that's in Christ. You didn't know you were dead yet? Don't worry about a burial. It's all been taken care of in the baptism. It's all been washed away. But you see, too many of us come in that baptism, and we come right up, and we got wet. We felt like, wow, this is great. Now I'm part of the church. Are you? You see, it's more than just getting wet. It's the understanding that that was the day I died. That was the day that I no longer have to worry about this old man anymore. He's been nailed to his own cross. It's us now, with Christ living within us, that is the new power in the earth. You know, it... God can do so much. He can baptize our mind and, and so forth, and as I've just discussed about our bodies and everything else. But the thing about it is, if we want to remove the character that bides in us, then we need something else to take place, and that is for us to be immersed in the character of Jesus. Think of it that way. Sadly, People can be married without having an intimate relation with each other. Is that true? You may know so. The problem here is this, and we need to identify it. Can we be married to Jesus but not care? Can we really not care? He's in us. We're one spirit. We're one. Only when you have the consciousness of Christ do you recognize that, move in that, speak in that, overcome in that. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. 
this is what we need. This is what we have to come to. Because you see, so often, let me say it this way. Today, Holy Spirit is seeking purified vessels to reside in. He's seeking those people. But let me ask you a question based on that. Do you really believe that responding to an altar call and saying a sinner's prayer and have someone lay hands on you to be filled with Holy Spirit is adequate? Not unless cleansed yourself. Remember, cleansing ourselves is up to us. We're told to be holy even as He is holy. And it's that consciousness of Christ that comes into us and possesses us and tells us don't give up. If you don't feel me yet, hang on. If you don't know my presence within you, just hang on. And don't stop until I ultimately possess you. All of you. And these things of this world, these influencers, these, all of these other elements that try to draw you away and to clutter your mind with corruption, they'll go away because they dare not come near you. You will not be moved. Let's face it, too often our soul is lazy and bored if we're not entertained with increasingly spectacular demonstrations of the supernatural. We want to glorify God, but our soul's ambitions are impure and ungodly. What is inside of us is not God, it's just more of us. Let me ask you this question. What voice are you most most conscious of? Of all those voices out there in the air, going through the air every day, one in your ear. Which one are you most conscious of? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. They don't follow another. They follow me. Do you see what Christ's consciousness is? What it means to us? Look again over Luke. This time in chapter 17. beginning with verse 26. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. And he says, Just as it happened in the days of Noah, so will it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They didn't know. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were burying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. They didn't know. It will be just the same way on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Are you going to know?
on that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. You see, our tendency still as people of God, because we're so used to living in this physical flesh and dealing with intellectual knowledge that man has dreamed up, we forget that no scientist, no biologist, nobody, anybody has ever been able to understand the creation of God. They can't explain it. It must have just, there's an explosion. Well, where did it come from? Oh, we don't talk about that. There's just a great explosion. But you see, we know. We know. We didn't have to be there. We know. This is what Jesus is trying to get across to us. Listen. He goes on and says this in verse 33. Whosoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. What is Jesus meaning by that? First of all, the word life there in the Greek is soul. It's not life. It's saying to us that if we continue in this realm in which we're so used to because we're fleshly, if we continue to do, seek the highest paying job, seek to become famous and well known, seek to have power, seek to have influence, if we continue in this venue, we will lose. But if you're willing to become as nothing, you sit in the last seat, not on the first. If you continue to love the unloved rather than find yourself at a fine dinner table with luxurious furnishings, you will preserve it. Being conscious of Christ is totally new, folks. It is totally new. Finally, one last scripture here. It's found over in the book of Galatians. Over in Galatians. Chapter 5, beginning with verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. I didn't say that. Jesus did. But the fruit of the Spirit, here we go. This is us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. That's us. But wait a minute. Got another verse. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have, past tense, crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now is that still you? 
You see, I'm not up here to try to bring a heavy message to you. But I'm just up here to try to get you to understand that there is a, a power that is within you that is so great. If you could just tap into that and understand that in your mind and let it just take over you, there would be such supernatural power that would be released. People would see it on you. People would feel it when you walked into a room without you uttering a word. People will notice, like the Pharisees did, when the apostles had to come before them, they recognized that these had been with Jesus. Do you see? We're supposed to walk on this earth as a foreigner, having no part in just the mundane affairs of this life. But we are to walk on this earth and carry out the plan of God, which is to win souls to Christ, that they too might be the sons of God. Listen. The earth is vomiting. It's, it's getting sick of all the sin that's taking place in this world. And it's happening all over the place. And unfortunately, all the noise and the screams and the holler and the music and everything else that goes on doesn't stay here. It goes all up into space. If I was a Martian and I wanted to come here and I heard that, I'd turn around and go home. You know what I'm telling you is the truth. We have to understand there's got to be a voice out there besides the ones we have already listened to, we hear so often. Let me finish this way. In the 1960s, where a lot of you weren't even born yet, those of us who are a little bit older than that can remember there were groups of people across the country that began to rise up. And they wanted demands. They wanted what they wanted. And they were willing to do whatever it takes to get it. And most of the time it carried out in violence and it did not end well. But their slogan was this. By whatever means necessary. They didn't care who got hurt, who got in the way, or what the result was. They had something they were striving for and they would not be denied. Well, don't you think that it's time that we as the church became known as the militant church? Oh, don't get me wrong here. Flesh and blood is not our enemy. But we should rise up on this occasion knowing the Christ that is within us. It is such a precious gift. Why are you being selfish and holding it into yourself? Why aren't we sharing it with other people? What's going on? I need somebody in this church besides me, and I'm sure some of you are, to start praying 30 minutes a day. You can break it down to three tens, two fifteens, or six fives. But you've got to pray. Is there anybody willing to pray 30 minutes a day? For what? First of all, start with your family. Father, mother, brother, sister that are not saved. Are you willing to allow the Christness that's in you to pray for them at least? How many here is willing to read four chapters a day in the Bible and you'll finish it before the year's out? Because you need to have the living word in you if you're going to be able to confront and overcome the objections that they throw at you. 
how many are willing to focus on one person, just one? Start with your own family. Now, those are the people you already love. Well, maybe not everybody, but most of them are the ones you're supposed to love. They're of your own family. Finally, would you live Christ consciously and give an example of what people can be, not what they are? This is the command of the Lord. We are to know Him. We are to walk in Him. We are to display and exhibit the life of Christ in us. It's an old slogan you've heard before. Somebody said, if you were arrested today and put in jail for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Hmm. You don't even want to ponder that one, do you? You see, we have to be a people that are different from everybody else around us. If we're not different than everybody else around us, we're part of them. Crack, I just stepped on. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I don't apologize for it. We need to be people who are aware that there is a life in us that is eternal, that cannot be defeated, that will not be defeated, and is there for us to walk in that this world might know there is. Let's pray together. Father, I asked you in the beginning to watch over your word and to perform it. I come back to that, Lord. And I ask in our hearts and in our spirits today, O God, you will have found a place that you're going to begin to move in and move about in and fill it till the consciousness of Christ is all they know. I thank you for that. I thank you. I expect it, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. To your glory and to your praise now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.